Welcome back to Mark's Madness. So, if you notice the, the lack of boo boop doops uh, that's because this is a MIDI madness. Now, anyone who's not been around for these MIDI madnesses, usually just one of me or Nathan does read a short work. We don't stop and go over the context too much or do any current events or anything. That way it can be released anytime for anyone to read. The short work either goes with where we are in the book or current events going around or just in general seems good and fitting. And we wanted to get this short work out to you. Um, today I'm going to give a little bit of context beforehand because there's some things people may not know about in this work. So we're going to do The Nature of Mass Demonstrations by John Berger. Um, this is... Uh, originally appeared in a magazine called New Society, which Berger wrote for. For people who are not familiar with Berger, and to be clear, I'm talking about John Berger, uh, the poet and artist, <laughs> uh, the, the basically British communist um, who just died a few years ago, not John Berger, the National Research Council you know, client goon that goes around telling you how Chevron's saving the environment, uh, but but John Burr, the, the communist poet and artist. Um, some things in here, there are a few things with Italian history that people may not be familiar with uh, that he does reference. The beginning is all about the uh, Bava Bacaris massacre, and it, it pretty plainly lays out, you know, uh, what happens there, right? Um, but when it's talking about, you know, 1898 and the slaughter of 100 um people demonstrating that that's also noticed again the, the Baba Bacaris massacre or Fatty DiMaggio um, the events in May uh, for anyone who wants to know a little more about that uh, much more uh, not detailed in the work uh, broadly well known but some people may not well known is there's a little bit about Giuseppe uh, Giribaldi uh, Giuseppe Giribaldi is the man who basically unified Italy um, most especially with you know victories in, in places like Sicily. Um, he has long been admired by uh, socialists and socialist-aligned uh, people. So, you know, I mean, Frederick Engels, Che Guevara, um, Charles Dickens, who is not a, or Charles Dickens, who is not a, a socialist, but of course, you know, I mean, uh, wrote much about the, the poor. Uh, Abraham Lincoln, who, of course, was not a socialist and was pretty brutal to indigenous people in the United States. Uh, but... You know, was a leader that, when elected because of his even moderate abolitionist stances, immediately caused the Civil War and then led the North in the Civil War because, you know, his presidency seemed to end, the, uh, you know, seemed to spell the end of slavery. So, you know, these are people that, that the highly of Giuseppe Garibaldi, who was part of the First International, um, was kind of in the, the, the Bakarin realm, but not necessarily follower of Bakarin. He seemed to agree with everything on a moral stance, uh, but not really. Um, you know, not really like the the lack of private property. So you know, fits more in like as a as a Charles Dickens or or even a um, Adam Smith type in that sense. He also did do some fighting for England in I think the Second Boer War. Um, and those those obviously you know make him a little more controversial. But for the most part, he was known as a working class man. Uh, he admired you know the morals of of socialism. He he was around for the First International. Uh, he's also known as Hero to World because he took part in the Uruguayan Civil War. Um, and so he's a pretty major character in history, but he's just kind of lightly touched upon. You're expected to keep up <laughs> and know him there. Um, and then, of course, it's going to reference 1905. And if anybody is listening to this, I listen to the show regularly. I just totally forgot the name of Bloody Sunday. 
Bloody Sundays, of course, when a priest took basically the whole town to demonstrate, and this was kicked off the 1905 revolution uh, in Russia, um, took them to march uh, across a frozen river on a Sunday in protest, you know, basically asking the czar to, to take better care of his people, um, and they were just bloodily gunned down. It was a massacre. Um, so as long as you have those in your pocket, there's not going to be a whole lot to keep up with. So without further ado, John Berger, The Nature of Mass Demonstrations. Seventy years ago, on May 6, 1898, there was a massive demonstration of workers, men and women, in the center of Milan. The events which led up to it involved too long a history to treat with here. The demonstration was attacked and broken up by the army under the command of General Bacaris. At noon, the cavalry charged the crowd. The unarmed workers tried to make barricades. Martial law was declared, and for three days, the army fought against the unarmed. The official casualty figures were 100 workers killed and 450 wounded. One policeman was killed accidentally by a soldier. There were no army casualties. Two years later, Umberto uh, I was assassinated because of the massacre after he publicly congratulated General Bacaris, the butcher of Milan. I have been trying to understand certain aspects of the demonstration in the Corso Venezia on 6 May because of the story I am writing. The process I came to the few conclusions about demonstrations which may perhaps be more widely applicable. Mass demonstrations should be distinguished from riots or revolutionary uprisings, although under certain, now rare circumstances, they may develop into either of the latter. The aims of the riot are usually immediate, the immediacy matching the desperation they express, the seizing of food, the release of prisoners, the destruction of property. The aims of a revolutionary uprising are long-term and comprehensive. They culminate in taking over state power. The aims of a demonstration, however, are symbolic. It demonstrates a force that is scarcely used. A large number of people assemble together in an obvious and already announced public place. They are more or less unarmed. On May 6, 1898, entirely unarmed. They present themselves as a target to the forces of repression serving the state authority against whose policies they are protesting. Theoretically, demonstrations are meant to reveal the strength of popular opinion or feeling. Theoretically, they are an appeal to the democratic conscience of the state. But this presupposes a conscience which is very unlikely to exist. If the state authorities open a democratic influence, the demonstration will hardly be necessary. If it is not, it is unlikely to be influenced by an empty show of force containing no real threat. A demonstration in support of an already established alternative state authority, as when Garibaldi entered Naples in 1860, is a special case and may be immediately effective. Demonstrations took place before the principle of democracy was even nominally admitted. The massive early Chartist demonstrations were part of the struggle to obtain an admission. Crowds who gathered to present the petition to the Tsar in St. Petersburg in 1905 were appealing and presenting themselves as a target to the ruthless power of an absolute monarchy. In the event, as on so many hundreds of other occasions all over Europe, they were shot down. It would seem that the true function of demonstrations is not to convince the existing state authority to any significant degree. Such an aim is only an inconvenient rationalization. The truth is that mass demonstrations are rehearsals for revolution. Not strategic or even tactical ones, but rehearsals of revolutionary awareness. The delay between the rehearsals and the real performance may be very long. Their quality, the intensity of the rehearsed awareness, may, on different occasions, vary considerably. 
but any demonstration which lacks this element of rehearsal is better described as an officially encouraged public spectacle. A demonstration, however much spontaneity it may contain, is a created event in which arbitrarily separates itself from ordinary life. Its value is the result of its artificially, for therein lies the prophetic rehearsing possibilities. A mass demonstration distinguishes itself from other mass crowds because it congregates in public to create its function, instead of forming in response to one. In this, it differs from any assembly of workers within their place of work, even when strike action is evolved, or from any crowd of spectators. It is an assembly which challenges what is given by the mere fact of its coming together. State authorities usually lie about the number of demonstrators involved. They lie, however, makes little difference. It would only make a significant difference if demonstrations really were an appeal to democratic conscience of the state. The importance of the numbers involved is to be found in the direct experience of those taking part or sympathetically witnessing the demonstrations. For them, the numbers cease to be numbers and become the evidence of their senses, the conclusions of their imagination. The larger the demonstration, the more powerful and immediate, visible, audible, tangible, a metaphor it becomes for a total collective strength. I say metaphor because the strength thus grasped, grasped transcends the potential strength of those present, and certainly their actual strength as deployed in a demonstration. The more people there are there, the more forcibly they represent to each other and to themselves those who are absent. In this way, a mass demonstration simultaneously extends and gives body to an abstraction. Those who take part become more positively aware of how they belong to a class. Belonging to that class ceases to imply a common fate and implies a common opportunity. They begin to recognize that the function of their class need no longer be limited, that it too, like the demonstration itself, can create its own function. Revolutionary awareness is rehearsed in another way by the choice and effect of location. Demonstrations are essentially urban in character. They are usually planned to take place near as possible to some symbolic center, either civic or national. Their targets are seldom the strategic ones, railway stations, barracks, radio stations, airports. A mass demonstration can be interpreted as a symbolic capturing of a city or capital. Again, the symbolism or metaphor is for the benefit of the participants. The demonstrations, an irregular event created by the demonstrators, nevertheless takes place near the city center, intended for very different uses. The demonstrators interrupt the regular life of the streets they march through or the open spaces they fill. They cut off these areas and, not yet having power to occupy them permanently, they transform them into a temporary stage on which they dramatize their power they still lack. The demonstrators view the city surrounding their stage also changes. By demonstrating, they manifest a greater freedom and independence, a greater creativity even though the product is only symbolic than they can ever achieve individually or collectively when pursuing their regular lives. In their regular pursuits, they only modify circumstances. By demonstrating, they symbolically oppose their very existence to circumstances. This creativity may be desperate in origin and the price paid for it high, but it temporarily changes their outlook. They become corporately aware that it is they or those whom they represent who have built the city and who maintain it. They see it through different eyes. They see it as their product, confirming their potential instead of reducing it. 
Finally, there is another way in which revolutionary awareness is rehearsed. The demonstrations present themselves as a target to the so-called forces of law and order. Yet the larger the target they represent, the stronger they feel. This cannot be explained by the banal principle of strength in numbers any more than by vulgar theories of crowd psychology. The contradiction between their actual vulnerability and their sense of invincibility corresponds to the dilemma which they force upon the state authority. Either authority must abdicate and allow the crowd to do as it wishes, in which case the symbolic suddenly becomes real, and even if the crowd's lack of organization and preparedness prevents it from consolidating its victory, the event demonstrates the weakness of authority, or else authority must contain and disperse the crowd with violence, in which case the undemocratic character of such authority is publicly displayed. The imposed dilemma is between the displayed weakness and displayed authoritarianism. The officially approved and controlled demonstration does not impose the same dilemma. Its symbolism is centered, censored. That is why I term it mere public spectacle. Almost invariably, authority chooses to use force. The extent of its violence depends upon many factors, but scarcely ever upon the scale of the physical threat offered by the demonstrators. The threat is essentially symbolic. But by attacking the demonstration's authority, authority ensures that the symbolic event becomes a historical one, an event to be remembered, to be learnt from, to be avenged. It is in the nature of the demonstration to provoke violence upon itself. Its provocation may also be violent, but in the end it's bound to suffer more than it inflicts. This is a tactical truth and a historical one. The historical role of demonstration is to show the injustice, cruelty, irrationality of the existing state authority. Demonstrations are protests of innocence, but the innocent is of two kinds, which can only be treated as though they were one at a symbolic level. For the purpose of political analysis and the planning of revolutionary action, they must be separated. There is an innocence to be defended, an innocence which must finally be lost an innocence which derives from justice, and an innocence which the consequences of la which the consequences consequence of a lack which is the consequence of a lack of experience. I'm sorry folks. Demonstrations express political ambitions before the political means necessary to realize them have been created. Demonstrations predict the realization of their own ambitions and thus, thus may contribute to the realization, but they cannot themselves achieve them. The question which revolutionaries must decide in any given historical situation is whether or not further symbolic rehearsals are necessary. The next stage is training in tactics and strategy for the performance itself. That once again, from the, auto, for the May 1968 New Society, republished International Socialism in Autumn of 1968, was The Nature of Mass Demonstrations by John Bircher. Thank you, folks.